What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, Wednesday, July 25th, hurtling, as as always, towards training camp. I am your host, Will Brinson. We will be joined today by a friend of the show, friend of mine, CBS Sports colleague, Jason Locking Forward, to break down some of the latest news and notes surrounding training camp. As often happens, news broke. Todd Gurley signed an extension. I will get to that in a second, then we'll hop to Jason. Um, just some house cleaning stuff. Subscribe, rate, and review. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your relatives. If you like, if you like podcasts, if you like football, um, let people know and you can let people know on iTunes. If you, you know, if you, if you bang that five star button, it's greatly appreciated. You just scroll down on your, on your, on your Apple, um, podcast app, your iPhone podcast app and do that. Or you can even dive in and write a review. You can, you don't even have to sign up or anything. You can just plug your name in, do a five star. Don't, don't bother doing it if it's a two star. Okay. Don't want to, don't need a two star. Five star reviews only. Thank you for everyone who does that. It is greatly appreciated. If you want to send fantasy questions, if you want to send life questions, if you want to ask me about beer or <laughs> soft drinks, I'm drinking water tonight because I think I'm coming down with some cold I got for my kid. You can ask me about parenting advice. Uh, willbrinson at gmail.com. I'm happy to take your emails. I've cleaned out my inbox. If I haven't responded to you, I will be getting back to you. Thank you for everyone who sent the kind words. And uh, at Will Brinson on Twitter. Jason Lockenfor is at Jason Lockenfor. If you want to follow him, you can also follow the podcast at Pick6Pod. Highly recommend you do that as well. You will be notified as soon as a new episode goes up. It's a daily show, Monday through Friday. Podcast is up at 6 a.m. So Jason and I recorded this pot, the, the show for today, uh, um, on Tuesday morning. Naturally, Todd Gurley and the Rams announced a contract on Tuesday afternoon. Four year, $60 million extension for the, for the best running back in football last year. The guy who was number one in terms of running backs on my, uh, all 25 or under team. And it's got 45 million in guarantees. Now, a couple of notes that we'll talk about this extension. We'll get to Jason first. When somebody has 45 million in guarantees, that is not 45 million guaranteed. NFL contracts are stupid and annoying and they are finagled in such a way that it makes the agent and the player feel good about themselves. Um, it, it's, it's really, it's a catch 22 because it helps the team out because these agents are propping up. 45 million in guarantees. Well, that's not 45 million guaranteed. You need cold, hard, guaranteed money up front. Like Matt Ryan is getting every single dollar of his 80 million guaranteed or whatever it is. Todd Gurley, not necessarily going to get every dollar of his 45 and whatever in guarantees, but he is tied to the Rams for the next six years. And he did reset the running back market from an average annual um, value perspective. We'll get to that in a second. Notable. Because this means that that Aaron Donald now, so that the Rams have, have given money to Brandon Cooks and Todd Gurley, right? But not Aaron Donald. That's sort of interesting. Well, if you recall last week on this very show, Pete Prisco, my colleague, pointed out that he hears that the Rams want to make or willing to make Aaron Donald the highest paid defensive player in the NFL. But Aaron Donald wants to be the he wants quarterback money. He wants to get paid like Aaron Rodgers, like Kirk Cousins, or at least like. I don't know, Alex Smith. And that's not going to happen. He's not going to get quarterback money. He can get close to it, but he's going to get top defensive player money, not quarterback money. And so that's a point of contention. And don't think that the Rams are 
just hosing Aaron Donald here by not giving him what he wants. They gave Todd Gurley a top of the market running back deal. They gave Brandon Cooks a topish of the market, you know, wide receiver deal, but they're not loading them up with guarantees. They're still young guys. Well, Aaron Donald's the same position, but he wants a massive quarterback deal and he might not get it, which could make this a little bit spicy. Um, back to the running back market in, in, in and of itself. Um, for Le'Veon Bell, he actually tweeted, I'm not mad. He said, go get it, Todd. And Le'Veon Bell should be happy for Todd Gurley because Todd Gurley, even though that, you know, the guaranteed numbers will have to see what the full amount is, Todd Gurley has reset the running back market. Prior to this, with Adrian Peterson's contract off the books, you know, the running, running back salaries had dipped significantly. We were looking at a situation where the top running back, non-Le'Veon Bell version, was LaShawn McCoy. At like 8.95 million and Le'Veon Bell's getting 14.5, but it's on a franchise tag, so it's a one year deal. Now Todd Gurley's at 15 million per year. Le'Veon Bell's gonna be able to go out and get that in free agency, and he's probably gonna get more guaranteed money than he would have from the Steelers, and I ultimately think that's what it was about for Le'Veon Bell, was getting that guaranteed money. When you look at what's gonna happen over the long haul for this, it's really interesting from a franchise tag perspective, because I believe in the next three years, you will see at least four other guys get money that approaches what you saw for Todd Gurley. David Johnson, Zeke Elliott, Leonard Fournette, and Saquon Barkley. David Johnson, as, as Pete Prisco and I talked about yesterday, um, that's probably going to get done pretty soon, probably in the middle of the season. Zeke Elliott, you can say what you want about not paying running backs. Jerry Jones and, and Stephen Jones and the Cowboys are going to pay Zeke Elliott. He makes that motor run. I mean, Dak Prescott's great, but Zeke, he'll get paid too. But Zeke Elliott is going to get paid. He's going to get paid more than Todd Gurley, especially if he goes out and has an 1,800-yard season this year. you got to think about it in, in a different way when you think about how these contracts work because after after your third year, remember Todd Gurley just completed his third year last year at close to an MVP season. That's when, under the new rookie wage scale, you can renegotiate your contract. So even though Zeke Elliott won't be in a contract year for like three more years because the fifth year option and the franchise tag and all that, this is sort of a contract year coming up for Zeke Elliott. I, I mean, it's, it's the new way to think about it. If you want to renegotiate as a, as a first round pick after your third year, you also have to look at it and know that you're under team control for two more years, a fourth year of the regular contract, the fifth year option that comes up, and then potentially even two more years. So after that third year, you might be under control for the team by the team for four additional seasons. That's why you sign that extension if you're a running back so you don't have to play out the franchise tag string. You get the guaranteed money in your pocket, and you don't worry about getting injured. And I think that you're going to see these guys maybe take that approach. Um, Gurley specifically suffered a debilitating leg injury and it tore his ACL. It was nasty when he was at Georgia. It didn't. We, nobody was sure if he'd be back to play right away. Remember, he missed the first few games of his rookie year, um, but he was a top ten pick, and he, he's proved it out. I think it's smart of him to get that money in his pocket. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if those guys see that. And so this is going to totally flip the running back market. And it's going to be really interesting when you start to look down the road at the franchise tag, because it's a, you know, it's a cumulative value over five years of the top five salaries as computed at a certain percentage of the salary cap. It's very difficult to deal with, but the higher the top five salaries, 
the higher the franchise tag is. Now, Le'Veon Bell got lucky because Adrian Peterson helped jack up his price. But if these guys don't sign these new deals, running backs in three years, we're going to get dealt a huge blow uh, because the franchise tag would be so low. And now I think this is going to flip the way we think about the running back market. And uh, it's gonna it, to me, it's kind of it's really fascinating what these guys are doing. These young guys who were drafted high can change it. And we make fun of Le'Veon Bell a little bit, like you should have just taken the money and, and gone with it. Well, he's sort of leading a revolution from that perspective. Pretty cool stuff. All right, uh, I babbled on about that deal for a lengthy amount of time. By the way, Todd Gurley's pretty awesome. You should draft him with a uh, probably the top pick of your fantasy draft. Oh, and which reminds me, um, if you guys who listen regularly – would be interested in a heavy dose of fantasy for fantasy football draft purposes leading up to um, the the start of the NFL season, tweet me and let me know. I mean, or, or send me an email and say, hey, I'd be interested in this. I don't, I don't want to overdo it. Um, we've got some cool things we're planning, but I was thinking about doing a, a big chunk of the show, a big chunk of time devoted to fantasy, but I don't want to do it if people don't want it. Uh, anyway, I devoted a big chunk of time to that, but it's a big deal. Todd Gurley got paid. He's very good. He's a great running back. MVP candidate. Uh, MVP of this show. Today's show. Jason Lock and Four. Let's go talk to him. All right, Jason. Welcome, uh, welcome back. Happy, yeah, we'll pretend it's Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. Hope you're doing well. Sure. <laughs> oh, this is a splendid Wednesday. One of the best Wednesdays I've encountered in quite some time. It feels Oddly, like a Tuesday to me, Will, but this is certainly a Wednesday. <laughs> you know, it's uh, this is not a great week to be on the East Coast because it's it looks like we're going to have kind of crappy weather all throughout the week. Um, yeah. How much of an impact do you think that's going to have on uh, on on training camp situations? Because I know that you were at the Ravens on Thursday and Friday of last week, wrote about Joe Flacco, Lamar Jackson, but then missed out on Saturday uh, because of the bad weather, right? Yeah, I mean, Saturday was the first day they were going to be in pads. I mean, Thursday and Friday were glorified walkthroughs, especially for guys who, you know, are, are locked-in starters. Any veteran, I mean, and even like Alex Collins, it's basically, I mean, Alex Collins a year ago, nobody knew who he was, right? But an hour into practice, Alex Collins was gone with Joe Flacco and, you know, Terrell Suggs and those guys. They're, you know, 90 minutes into practice. So uh, they're using this as a soft ramp-up for the team, for the team's veterans, because they have that extra week of practice in Baltimore and Chicago because of the Hall of Fame game. So, um, yeah, I didn't see a whole lot Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They were supposed to be uh, basically a glorified scrimmage under the lights, um, you know, some ones versus ones and twos versus twos, and they never even bust down to the stadium because the weather was so bad. So, yeah. um, I know so we'll see. You know, I mean, everybody's opening by and large Thursday, Friday, Saturday this week. And it does sound like the East Coast is going to be underwater. So, well, I know that you um, wrote that Joe Flacco is not concerned about Lamar Jackson, but is he concerned? Isn't that what you wrote? I mean, he. I think he's saying all the right things. I think he's projecting everything um, that you would expect and and want him to project. And he's also shown. I can't say reverence, but he's shown respect for this kid. I mean, he's been, Lamar Jackson has done nothing in the NFL, but obviously, you know, they made a bold move to get him at the end of the first round, and he won a Heisman Trophy, and he is, you know, the best athlete on this team from day one. So I think Flacco's been uh, mindful of that, and he's shown the kid some respect, and he said all the right things about him. But he also he's also still making, you know, $23 million this year. He is the starting quarterback. 
and he has no intent on losing that job. Now, as I wrote in the piece, the reality may be he may not lose the job. Alex Smith never lost a job last year. In fact, he had his best season and was, you know, I think among a half dozen guys who you would have had to give him some MVP consideration to. And he still got thrown out because they want to play the kid. And the kid is infinitely cheaper. And the kid has upside. And the kid has uh, unique athletic um, makeup. And they're ready to go in a different direction because Alex Smith just never happened in for him in the playoffs, right? And, and here in Baltimore, they've had no passing game, really, since they won the Super Bowl. And Joe has been on the decline, numbers-wise and health-wise. And he's the healthiest he's been forever you know, in a long time, and that'll bode well for him, and it'll bode well for them. But I think in the end, if he has a nice, decent season, it just helps their calls in a trade. I, I don't see, you know, barring something awkward happening in Lamar Jackson's development or an injury, um, I don't see them paying Joe Flacco another $25 million next year and having him count another $27 million against their cap. Which is also good luck trading him. With that cat. <laughs> well, that's why he'd have to play. Well, yeah, I mean, look, he'd have to play well. Yeah. And another team would have to want him and not be willing just to wait for him to get cut. And he'd have to be willing to restructure that deal, which I, I think he understands because this was always an inflection point in this contract. I mean, it was always another three-year deal. And then 2019 was the first year that the Ravens could – he could. 2019 is the first year where he could count less on the, against the Ravens' cap as a cut player than he could as – a player player, if, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. This is the first year they could conceivably cut him without it still blowing up their cap or blowing up their cash. The guaranteed money's paid out. The cap hit would be would be much more manageable to cut him than to keep him or to trade him than keep him. So we'll see. Let's move over to another bird of uh, NFL mascot variety. Let me guess. Let me guess that bird. Guess. Would that bird be... Falcon. It would be. How did you guess? Um, well, man, it was either going to be a Falcon or a Cardinal, but I'm like, oh, this is going to be a Julio Jones question. I, mean, <laughs> I, I Falcon. Man, that's a, that's dangerously predictable on my part. But I mean, Julio Jones is in the news because he is actually going to skip training camp. Um, how much, how much of an impact? I mean, look, Julio Jones is going to be fine. He can skip training camp. He can come in. He can be a, an elite NFL wide receiver. Um, I would worry a little bit, I guess, if I'm the Falcons about Julio's, what, what condition he's in. I mean, I think he's clearly going to be in good shape, but will he be in football yeah. shape by the start of the season? Right. Uh, but how much of, how much of a problem is this for Dan, the message that Dan Quinn wants to get across to his team about, you know, hashtag brotherhood and all of that when the superstar wide uh, receiver won't show up? These guys, these guys generally get it, man. They, they, they know, they understand, um, the business of football. And they understand that, you know, these teams generally one or two years into what is, by all intents and purposes, a six or seven year deal or five year deal or whatever it is, they could be gone. And so if that's the way it is, then if a player wants to flip the script, and even though he agreed to that six year contract or seven year contract or whatever it was, if the market's drastically changed three years into that contract and he wants to do what he's got to do to be paid what he would be worth closer to what he'd be worth on the open market, then I think guys understand that. Um, now, it's a little different with Julio because he did make a business decision once. You know, Odell Beckham, Aaron Donald, those guys have never had a decision to make, right? They've been products of the system. They get what they get on their rookie deals. You got Then you got the fifth-year option. Then you've got potentially two franchise tags. Julio avoided all that by deciding to resign with them, you know, three years ago or whatever it was. 
Um, well, you know, now he's kind of trying to have it both ways. But I also look at the market. I, I mean, I wrote about this in real time. We talked about it in real time. When, when teams start giving guys who have done almost nothing in this league, I mean, like, what has Sammy Watkins really done in this league? Like, uh, nothing. <laughs> what has he accomplished on an annual, like, a 16-game basis? I mean, he's, he's an above-replacement-level receiver on production who, because of where he was picked and because Doug Whaley made a stupid trade to move up and get him, and because he is capable of some freak stuff, right? Like, in, in any given moment, he could make a highlight real play, but then where is he the next five plays? Is he on the sidelines getting treatment? But, you know, he, he can flash, but, like, he's getting $34 million over two. And he's I, – I, I've said this, and it's not facetious. You could make the argument he's never been the best receiver on his own team That's for a full season. That's fair. Like, because he's always with Robert you know, Woods. So he's been I, better. And, 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 you know, look, Jarvis Landry, God love him. You know, but when you start paying slot guys who don't even average a first down per catch, 16 million, and this guy is at a point in his contract where he's, you know, in the, in the low teens, then I, I understand where he's coming from. We'll find out how stuck in he is. I don't see this as one that really gets to, you know, the nuclear states. But maybe I'm underestimating him. It seems like the Falcons have been underestimating him, and I think this is a battle of metal right now. And him saying, like, you know, even though I've always been sort of the ultimate team guy, you're not going to hold that against me now. At some point, you know, I think there'll be a secret meeting with him and Arthur Blank, and Arthur will, you know, say, look, man, we got the, we're got we hosting the Super Bowl this year. We think we're close. I'm always taking care of our guys. You know, we, there's not much we feel like we can do for you right now. But if you keep being Julio, there's a pot of gold at the other end of this rainbow and maybe some Super Bowl rings to boot. You know, let, let, and we'll see whether that approach works or not. That'll, that'll at some point be the next step. Um, and we'll see. Maybe they do, maybe they do end up incentivizing things a little bit for him. He's not going to get a new deal. I, I don't see them completely reversing course in that regard. Maybe they do end up throwing a few incentives at him. Um, but I think it's a bigger problem. I mean, the brotherhood saying, I wouldn't sweat. If I'm Steve Sarkeesian, I'm, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> you know, he, he, I, 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 as much as they say, rah, rah, we're behind him. I, I don't know if you're at the half point of the season and this offense, you know, and Julio Jones is still scoring a touchdown once every three weeks or whatever. Eh, I don't know, you know, and the running game isn't what it was. And the quarterback is, you know, is, is very good, but not transcendent. Um, boy, oh boy. That's the guy who I think needs every rep with all these guys right now, in part to get a, a, more of a buy-in from them. Because if I'm Julio and I know how he was used last year and being a glorified decoy at times and, and all that, it's not just about the money. It's also about, like, you know, what was that? Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're Julio, you don't exactly come away from year one with Steve Sarkeesian thinking, hey, man, you made me look awesome. Oh, yeah, this guy's great for me. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it's not even just great for him. But this guy schemed things up so much for our running backs and for guys like Gabriel that teams couldn't just suffocate me, you know? Like, he, he actually put me in position to succeed in part by what he was doing, making, you know, good players look great in any given play call and any given scheme. That's not what went on there last year. No. In fact, Julio, when you look at the red zone usage – I mean, like Julio Jones is, I mean, I get that he's not, you know, he's not, I, I mean, he's not like a, a tight end body style who was just going right. to dominate the red zone, but he's still a freak of nature who's, who's big and tall, throwing the ball in the end zone. Yeah. I mean, 
he's never been, to your point, a huge touchdown machine. But last year, it was almost like he was used between the 20s, and then they kind of, you know, and then he just kind of disappeared when it got to be money time. Yeah, and, and the Falcons kind of disappeared when it got to be money time, too. Some more stuff about wide receivers out there. We've got um, de- a report that Des Bryant is only interested in playing for a contender, <laughs> which is like the, you didn't want to play for the Patriots and the Packers before. Wait, wait, here's a newsflash for Des Bryant. No non-contending team would even consider him. You know, no team that fancied itself anything other than a contender would be willing to throw a few million dollars at him when injuries arise. Because if you're rebuilding, you know what I mean? Like if you're the Browns and you don't have Josh Gordon now, the answer isn't let's go give Dez $4 million for a year. Right. Like that's not where those teams are coming from. And a contender is seemingly only going to do it, much as I wrote back in the spring, once they're forced to do it, if they're forced to do it. You know, he, his agents grossly mis, mis, misread this market. Grossly misread this market. And it's pretty obvious in hindsight. And, and this isn't even Monday morning quarterbacking. It was pretty obvious in real time sure. that whatever he could have taken to stay in Dallas was probably the way to go. And then after that, you better dive on that Ravens offer. Because when that goes away, buddy, there ain't nothing else there. And we're three months later, and there ain't nothing else there. Is there a chance that, later. Is Yeah, sure. Is there, is there a chance that Des Bryant doesn't play football in 2018? It's going to be up to him. I mean, there will be injuries. And someone will come at him at, with a number. I don't think the number is going to be great. And he may have to go work out somewhere before he gets signed. Um, but there's teams who have considered it. but. You know, it was like, and I, you know, I know of at least two teams that considered it going into the draft. They had, you know, within their personnel meetings, they said, Hey, if we don't get any of these receivers we're looking at, you know, in these mid rounds, then maybe we see how low his number could be to bring him in. But those teams were able to, to address receiver in, uh, you know, in the draft. And now they're assessing those players. And the other thing is too, if, that's a that's a tricky position, and, and I'm kind of shocked Brandon Marshall got another bite at the apple because you usually want your three, four, five receivers to be giving to be plus guys on special teams. Yeah, he's not going to play special teams, which means that's another corner or another safety, you know, or whatever somebody with a similar uh, position group with a similar body type. That you know you're having to, to use another dip deeper into that group and get coach somebody else up at a different position group for one of those special teams roles. So, you know. How much bang, even if it is, if it ends up being a $2 million contract plus incentives, how much bang for your buck are you getting? Uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I think there is a role for him somewhere, but his agents better have done a better job the last two months managing his expectations in terms of what's realistically going to be out there for him. I, I just don't see, I mean, I get that like the, it's like, well, the Patriots to the Packers, you know, these guys can take on the big personality and bring them in, but I'm just not sure what the net benefit for a team like the Packers is when they've already got Jimmy Graham there. And I mean, Jimmy Graham, Des Bryant, potato, right. potato. Um, and, and then like with the Patriots, they've got a bunch of wide receivers. And as you mentioned, they don't need some diva wide receiver who won't play special team. Like they need, they need, they need guys who can contribute across the board. And it, it's not like Des Bryant's style of play necessarily fits what Tom Brady likes to Josh you know, He's Antoine Bolden at the end of his career now. He's a power forward. Box out, elbows up. Yeah. You know, compete in a short hand fight and compete in a in a in a short, you know, tight window, tight catching radius. But he's not stretching the field. He's not gonna do much damage outside the hash marks. But can he move the change field a little bit, throw him jump balls, you know, 
uh, some red zone stuff, some, some, you know, third and short stuff. Yeah. But you know, that's, that's more along the lines of what he is. And it's, it's got to be fairly damning to look again. And I'll just go back to, you got all these guys. Now they're younger than him and they're more spry than him, but I mean, it ain't like Sammy Watkins has been super healthy. You know, yeah. um, and again, you've got these guys establishing this $16 million threshold. Um, you've got Dante Moncrief getting basically, I mean, if he stays relatively healthy, he's going to make $12 million this year just by being alive. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and this is Des Bryant and he can't, you know what I mean? And he turned down some decent money from the Ravens and there's been literally nothing else out there. Um, the other running, the other wide receiver in the news, Josh Gordon, you mentioned him. Um, there's a report out there that he is taking time for quote unquote mental health and anxiety. Do you yeah. have anything else that you hear about Gordon and, and on a, I asked Pete this yesterday on a scale of like one to 10, how concerning is this for the Browns? Well, here's the thing. I don't know if you're the Browns and you ever really banked on them, then shame on you. Mm. You know, I mean, come on now. I know that Dorsey hasn't been down this road with him very long. You know, the general manager just, you know, as we all know, got hired right at the end of the season, but there's enough people who have been, you know, the owner goes all the way back to the start. I would have, I mean, look, I would have dealt him the four years ago when he's, he and Brian Hoyer are looking like Joe Montana and, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm blacking out on the name of the, of the greatest wide receiver in NFL history. Edit, edit this out. Why the hell can't I think of, come on, help me out. The greatest one. Oh, Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice. Yeah. <laughs> That was pathetic. I thought you were making, um, I thought you were making a Browns joke. I was like, I don't get, I was like, is he? No, like, no. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, you know, that's fine. I could have gone with whatever, AJ Jefferson or something. No, <laughs> I literally couldn't think of Jerry Rice's name. You know, I mean, those two were having these three, he's targeting him 25 times and he's catching 22 balls. Like after that season, he'd have, I'd have traded him in that season. And certainly after that season, he'd have been gone. And when Joe Banner was the team president there, they had a deal set up for a second round pick and something else from the 49ers when Harbaugh was still there and the owner nixed it. it. So um, there's been numerous people at various times who've said cut bait on this kid, and that was before the road got as winding as it is now. So if you were banking on him, shame on you. Because it's not, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. This is like fool me number 352, you know? Yeah, it is. Well, and, and like, but to me, and I pointed this out to Pete yesterday, but I just think it, it, Shouldn't go unnoticed that if, when you, when you take, when you, like, let's say Josh Gordon has some sort of slip up or has some sort of issue and ends up missing actual game time. Well, all of a sudden when you look at the Browns roster and you take Josh Gordon off their depth chart, like, it's a little bit harder to get optimistic about the Browns, which should tell you everything you need to know about Cleveland and maybe the optimism surrounding that team that we're like, oh, you know, this team can win eight or nine games. It's like, well, God, man, you take Josh Gordon off that offense. I don't know if I like Jarvis Landry and, um, you know, uh, Antonio Callaway as their, as their one and two. Right. Uh, you know, Njoku could take a step, but will he definitely do it? Joe Thomas, I, I don't know. It, it, the, you get some of that clarity. It's easy in June and July, or the early part of June and July, to be like, man, the Browns can make a difference here. Yeah. And then you start no, to – I've been, I've been big on them. Yeah, I have too. I, I like the Browns. But then you start to get into the meat of training camp or the beginning of training camp, and, and you really start to dive into that 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 depth chart and say, like, all right, if this were to go wrong, and it's a likely scenario where Josh Gordon could miss time just based on history, then all of a sudden the Browns have a have major question marks on offense. 
No doubt. I mean, I just look at last year. They were still in a lot of games, and the quarterback sure. just completely beat down his leg over and over and over. So I think they're going to be better. They have well, look, they didn't win a game, right? They're obviously they're going to win a game, and I think with even without Josh Gordon, I think they could win, um, you know, six ish games. But um, could could he be the difference in an additional win or two? Yeah, you could get me to probably buy into that argument. But I, I mean, look, I hope he's doing. He's a human being first and foremost, and yeah. you know his his representatives are telling everybody that he just needs a little more time. And the behavioral scientists, you know the the doctors who've helped him with his rehab and recovery are, you know, advising that, you know, maybe doing his own thing for a little while longer. And I don't know what a little while means or if it even ends up being a little while, but you know, for right now, that's the best path for him, mind, body, and soul. Now, two weeks from now, we may find out something different, you know, um, there, there, there may be other things that we learn or other things that happen. And I don't know how long the, to your ultimate point, I don't know how long the Browns can be. Yeah. At some point, you got to, you, you can, you, you know, you want to respect what's right for him, but then you've also got to say, hey, we're, we're into the process now, two weeks, three weeks into the process of figuring out our best 53 football players. And, you know, we're going to support Josh's endeavors every way we can, but we got to move on, you know? Well, um, well, if he's on the, if he's on the NFI, which is the non football injury list, yeah. he doesn't count against the 53. Like, they can keep him on the NFI until he's back and ready to go, right? Like, he doesn't. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I, I guess it's like, I don't know how many. If you're trying to change the culture and you had mm. issues and things in your locker room forever, right? Yeah. Going back to Manziel and uh, Justin Gilbert, the corner they took yeah. in the first round. Justin yeah, Gilbert. I, I mean, yeah, Gilbert. I mean, you've had it under multiple regimes now. Like, I just wondered at a certain point, you just have to say, like, nobody's telling you you can't play football. There's 31 other teams. You know what I mean? Like, but. We, we gotta, like, we, we gotta go with guys who are practicing every day. You know what I mean? Like, I can't be answering questions about Josh Gordon, you know, every other day. Like, well, how much closer is, you know, like, at a certain point, it's like, I mean, he's played, he's, I, he's, I think most teams would have walked a while as well. Well, I mean, he's played in, he's played in five games since the end of 2014 because of suspensions and stuff like that. And he did lead the league. Look, he led the league in, in receiving in 2013. But you, I mean, you know what? 2013 was a long time ago. Like I didn't, I didn't yeah. have a, I didn't have any kid. I didn't have a kid in 2013. Like I, right. I mean, you know, I live, I mean, like, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that it's easy to, it's easy to get caught up in remembering Josh Gordon from 2013 and he looks great out there, but there's no guarantee that this is a guy who can. I mean, in 2013, Lamar Jackson's in high school, right? I wow. mean, yeah, there you go. And, and, what are we talking about? And, and look, maybe, maybe it is. And Pete, Pete and I talked about this too. And I, we don't want to linger too long with Josh Gordon, but I think it is an interesting topic. I mean, it's entirely possible that he has some sort of, um, mental issue where Berea and going to training camp is a trigger for him. And he went and told somebody. No, and it could be. Yeah. I mean, like, it could just be that that locker room environment, somebody, you know, it could be that somebody's advised him that, Hey, because of this dynamic or that dynamic, or, or maybe because of things that have happened in that locker room before and how toxic it's been that maybe right now it's still the best for you. Although he was around in the spring, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. He was at, he was I mean, at, he, at, at mandatory minicamp. He was out there saying that the Browns are the best wide receivers in the league, which makes yeah. it, which makes it very odd that they would, um, so I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's something that happened at a previous training camp. I, I don't know. And I'm respectful and mindful of all that. And, 
you know, I hope he's on a field and playing at his very best and he actually makes some money for himself and eventually has enough to prove seasons to hit free agency. But like, I'm just saying specifically for the Browns, given all the issues that are there and all the baggage and coming off a winless season, you know, I, I just don't know at what point they just say, you know, Godspeed and, you know, we're, you know, Hugh's going to talk to you regularly and we're going, you know what I mean? We, yeah. we, we're, we're going to be monitoring you and we're going to be rooting for you, but we got it. We, you know we, we, I mean? we got to, we got to, yeah, we got I mean, Availability is a, is a pretty, you know, availability is the best ability as I think Bill Parcells yeah. or someone said, um, moving to another team that in the AFC, actually this team was in the playoffs last year, the Buffalo Bills. You got an awesome piece up on CBSSports.com. Jason was in. Buffalo talk sat down with uh GM Brandon Bean and coach Sean McDermott. How did they end up with Josh Allen? And do you, cause it's more than a, like a six month draft process just because of the way, you know, those guys came in after the draft in 2017 and took over then because it didn't Doug Whaley run the draft in 2017 or, you know, Sean, yeah, got or, fired right after the draft. That's yeah. right. Right. Well, Sean McDermott ran it. Doug Whaley. Right. Ran it in, in quotation marks. And then Brandon Bean was hired after the, after yeah. the draft, draft process, which gave him a full, um, year's runway to look at these quarterbacks. And he'd probably been looking at him, uh, in his role with the, the Panthers anyway. Um, but do you, you know, what sort of went into that? And do you believe that they found the guy they wanted all along in Josh Allen? Well, you know, I, I think they're, the end game for them was similar to the end game for a couple of teams. Um, obviously the Cardinals where there was a, there was multiple guys they were comfortable with, you know, and, and they knew as far as their earliest conversations last spring, that there's a pretty decent chance that this is going to be a, a, a good quarterback draft. We think it's going to be a good quarterback draft and it may be a, a generational quarterback draft. And, we know we need to be in a position where we unquestionably get one of the guys we're going to be comfortable with. And then the real, you know, sort of the Rubik's Cube was how many are we comfortable with? And that's the process that led to Brandon Bean going to a lot of these games and um, all of these campuses himself and, and not just having area scouts around, but him trying to get to know these guys in so much as he can. And then it obviously picked up steam at the Combine and it continued as the owner got to meet, you know, these various players that they, they brought them into the facility through the spring after the pro days. So, you know, I, I think it was really them, them sussing out where they're going to need to be to get one of these. He would never give me an exact number on how many at the end they were comfortable with. My hunch is it was three. Mm. Um, and he won't say which three, but. That's sort of just my, my takeaway on it, having spent some time with him. If you can made me guess, I guess it was, it was three. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure Darnold was one of them. And I know they did a lot of late work on Rosen. Um, you know, they were one of the teams that spent the most time talking to Jim Mora and guys on that staff. And they were doing it pretty late in the game. So my hunch is that Allen was already gone. There may have, you know, they may have been willing to do something for Rosen. I, I also. I'm not sure about Mayfield, and I'm not sure about Lamar Jackson. I'm guessing those two, you know, if you, if you made me guess how they had the quarterbacks ranked, I don't, I'm guessing they may not have been as high on those two, um, as the other three. And again, that's, 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 that's my guess. But, 
Yeah, he, he really kind of walked me through each part of the process, and we kind of just went through it with a, in a linear fashion and how much time he spent with each kid and when he saw him play and, you know, what that started to do to, you know, how that started to shape his conversations with Sean McDermott and then, you know, his the various scouts and, and other executives with that team and then all the trades, I mean, how, I mean, hours and hours and hours of trade talks that in in, in most cases produce nothing, you know what I mean? But, but you have to keep trying when, when you're, when your road is that dependent on other teams to get you where you need to go, you you've got to you've got to be on a fact finding mission all the time and trying to you know information was power for him, trying to sort out which teams were really in this and which weren't and where he'd have to go to get it done. He had a deal done with Denver, but you know Elway told him, look, if 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 somehow Chubb um, is there, but yeah, if somehow that that pass rush is still there, then I'm taking it. And, Somehow Cleveland you know, pieces up on Bradley Chubb. He, these other GMs didn't think that was happening, though. Elway didn't think that was happening. Dean didn't think that was happening. Chris Ballard didn't think that was happening. You know, all the guys picking right after in that zone, and, and guys trying to get to that zone, they all figure the Browns. You know, there's no way Chubb gets past four. And well, once he did, then that you know, Brandon Dean was not that he didn't have some contingencies in place because he was working on the trades from that point on. But once that happens, he knows he's got to consummate something quick because Steve Kimes makes phone calls as well. And, you know, at that point, all bets are off. I mean, guys are, are you know, these are decisions that are going to define their careers. And, you know, handshakes go, I don't know, they go out the window, but you got to make sure you know what you've got. <laughs> yeah. There's no, there's no soft agreement. Like if, if you, if you've got something in the works to be a, like, it's like, Hey, you know, we'll do this for this, for this pick. But then, like, Steve Kime calls with multiple first-rounders. Right. You know, it's right. like, hey, look, sorry, hey, man, Brandon, yeah. I hate to do this to you, buddy. Love you, but Arizona's offering me two first. Can you give up your first? And, you know, if he says no, then sorry, no dice. Yeah. No, and Brandon was was, was about as candid as, as he could be. I mean, he talked to me a lot, and it's, it's in the video and in the piece about trade they nearly made, you know, talking to Oakland, talking to these various other teams. And I think he said he himself did a half dozen mock drafts, and then he had coaches and you <laughs> see, had, see, they you had other that. executives doing mock drafts, and they never once had a scenario where they traded up for Allen and then also still got Tremaine Edmonds. You know that wow. that they traded up, they traded up essentially twice. They never, he never thought that would be feasible, and it ended up being what happened. Not only didn't think it'd be feasible to trade back up at, into sixteen. But that, then you're telling him that oh, and Tremaine Edmonds is still going to be on the board. Like he never, that you know, they never even really conceived it until it happened. Yeah, and what's funny too, I like how you point that out. Be like, oh, mock drafts are stupid. Nobody is like, well, except like the Bills are doing a bunch of mock drafts. Like in order to figure out who's going to be available with their two first round picks, they sort of have to do a mock well, draft, especially them where they're yeah. jumping all over the place, and you know they know that. I mean, they knew that the Cordy Glenn trade that was made like right after the combine, like they knew that was just a means to an end. You know, they knew that still wasn't going to get them where they needed to go. So, yeah, them in particular, um, yeah, I mean, he, I think, again, if, if he did six, I'm sure all the guys under him were doing five or six, you know, pro personnel, player personnel, college scouting director. Everybody's talking to various, their friends and other teams trying to figure out what's, you know, what's real and what's not. So the, the the gross number of mock drafts that Bill's front office did. I mean, it could conceivably be three digits. I don't know. I love the idea that, hey, Brandon, can you come to this meeting? I, look, I got another mock draft I got to do. Um, <laughs> the other, the other big trade from the, uh, 
from the from the from that draft, the 2018 NFL draft, that, that I think is going to have potential long term repercussions, not repercussions, but reverberations um, yeah. for multiple franchises. Was Sean Payton and the, and the Saints? You you went visit with Sean Payton too, and they moved up to get Marcus Davenport. Um, why was he the the move that he couldn't pass on? Yeah, they just felt like the way they planned to use him and and his fit in in their scheme and um, you know even when he starts lighting up the senior bowl he's still doing a lot of stuff on the inside kind of toggling around but but their vision they they had a clear vision for him from early on and it was you know obvious to them that where they wanted to go short and long term where they felt like they needed to address um what it would take to get that defense all the way over the top, and it was another edge presence, um, you know. And and they were all in on that, and they weren't going to mortgage everything for Bradley Chubb. And the more comfortable, the more comfortable they got with Davenport, um, you know, it was clear that he was the guy. Like they weren't. This wasn't a trade that they would have made for three or four different players. You know, this is diff- this is very much the opposite of that Bill scenario where we talked about where. You know, it was about getting comfortable with, you know, a, a number of players at that position. Right. This was it. This was it. Like they're doing their, they were moving up for Davenport. And you heard that. I mean, weeks before the draft, I was reporting and hearing really strongly that the most motivated team to move up is New Orleans. And that one is not for a quarterback, you know. And at that point, I, 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 I couldn't have told you what player it was, but I, I would have, Davenport would have been under, you know, was a name I was hearing. And then, once you got to draft week, it was like they're trying to get up to get Davenport. They're not even really even pretending that they're doing anything else. You know what I mean? Like they're telling the team that they talk to, like this is, you know, this this guy's got to be there, and if this guy is there, here's what we'll give you for that pick. And um, you know, they were they were willing to extend themselves fairly, um, fairly deeply, you know, with with the idea that. Drew Brees ain't going to be here forever, right? We do have a window with him as our starting quarterback, and we want to try to maximize it, and we think this could be the missing piece. And, um, yeah, I mean, that that was essentially the strategy, and, you know, that's another team that, you know, by the time he's breaking out, you know, by the time everybody's measuring him at the combine, they know, um, yeah, we're probably jumping up at least half a round if we want this guy. Like, that's that's going to be the terrain we're playing in if we think Marcus Davenport's in our futures. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it is crazy. It's like, it's, it's almost like a reverse smoke screen. Like Sean Payton made it so obvious that he was going to go get Marcus Davenport that people were like, maybe, maybe he's lying to us. I mean, I, I do think, right. I, I, I think it's, it's really interesting to me that like a number of, so one, so just to point out with the Saints, this, this trading, um, back in, uh, Back and back and forth in the first round. I think it's fascinating when you look back at the the Saints and their success or failures with that, because they made a move up um, in the 2011 draft to get uh, Mark. I think they had lost their pick maybe because of Bounty Gate or the, maybe maybe they already used one. But they 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 move oh, yeah. they move up into the first round. They trade a future first rounder to go get Mark Ingram, and it doesn't work out for them. They end up giving the Patriots a really good pick in the in the 2012 NFL draft and Mark Ingram ended up being a good player but it took a while to, to really uh, certainly don't know if yeah. he even justified the trade but then on, on on the flip side they trade Brandon Cooks to the Patriots for the Patriots fu- future first rounder and it turns out to be Ryan Ramchick 
who helps them get to the yeah. playoffs last year and resurrect the, you know, the, the, the entire organization. Really, they've been coming off three straight years of seven and nine. And so, and so I, I don't know. It's odd for Sean Payton to me to look at those two examples and to say, Oh, you know what? I should definitely give up a future first rounder. It's worked out really well. I, I get that he believes that, that, that first rounder next year is going to be in the, you know, I think if that first rounder is higher than 25, it's a massive disappointment because it means the Saints weren't there at the end um, making a Super Bowl run, right? Yeah, I mean, look, they they've got an absolute stud on one side of that defense, and they need somebody to complement. And if they get that guy um, with how uh, Rankins is coming along on the inside and the way they address that secondary, they're looking for a closer. Right? Like they're looking for somebody to put Chase Keenum on his backside when he throws the ball up to dig or right. I mean, that's, that's like, that's how their, their season ended because they couldn't close and they've always had a brilliant offense. Um, even in the down years, you know, you had to steer that offense on any given week and the defenses made strides with some of them, you know, in large part with that amazing draft they had a year ago. And, and now he's like, we got the quantity and the quality last year. Let's go get our closer, man. And let's go put that quarterback on his ass in the fourth quarter. And let's go celebrate a Super Bowl. Yeah. And, and when there is, look, I mean, there is a, there, you know, there is a certain concern. I think if you're the saints that you have this small window and you got to take advantage of it and you shove all into a degree and, and you hope that it doesn't come back and, and bite you in the rear. All right, Jason, uh, you're going to be heading through the Northeast and the Midwest doing training camp. You can watch Jason on CBS Sports HQ frequently. Of course, he's the, the NFL insider on, on the CBS, on the NFL today. I mean, certainly you're watching that on, on your actual television and you can follow him on Twitter at Jason Lockenfora. Anything, um, anything else you, uh, you want to, you want to promote pimp? Uh, oh, your, uh, Baltimore centric podcast. Be more opinionated. Check that out on iTunes. Sure. DM. Yeah. Uh, at BMO show pod on Twitter or yeah, check us out. Be more opinionated on iTunes. Uh, yeah, no, just ready to get out there, man. Hopefully the rain doesn't wash away today. These practices are going to start checking out Carson Wentz Thursday and Friday. Um, I'll get an early look at Josh Allen. Um, I'll be with the Steelers, uh, you know, sends Le'Veon Bell. Um, I'll finish up the first week in Indianapolis where uh, Andrew Luck has agreed to, to do a little uh, interview with us and do some stuff for HQ. So that should be fun seeing where he is a week from now. Um, hopefully that will be one of his throwing days, but you, you never know. Um, so, yeah, just uh, that time of year. All right. Well, we'll be dragging you back on the phone probably next week. You'll be getting harassing uh, texts from me to uh, to talk about what you've learned while on the road. All right. Sounds All right. good, buddy. Talk to you soon.